Prorata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, corporate America gets razor burn and how big tech tried to score points during the Super Bowl. But first, let the voting begin. So Iowans head to the polls tonight, or technically to the caucus sites, in the first official contest of the 2020 presidential campaign. The Hawkeye State's frontrunners have fluctuated over the past year, from Biden to Warren to Buttigieg. But right now, conventional wisdom is that this is Bernie Sanders' race to lose. Although even within those latest polls, those Sanders-friendly polls, there are lots and lots of undecided voters. And because of the unusual rules of the caucuses, someone's second choice can often end up becoming their first choice. So two big things to watch tonight. First, this will be the first time ever that Iowa officials will release tallies from the caucus's first and second rounds, something officially known as alignments. That means we should get a better sense of who caucus goers really wanted when they entered the building, which is something that a losing candidate could leverage into New Hampshire. Second, the delta between first and second place is very important. Remember, Bernie lost out to Hillary in 2016, but he was so close that the results made him appear to be more viable. The same could be true in reverse this time. Yes, winning Iowa matters. Just ask Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama. But as Bill Clinton and Donald Trump both proved, winning Iowa is not a nonstop ticket to the White House. In 15 seconds, we'll set the stage for tonight with Axios co-founder Mike Allen. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Let's start here. Can you give us the simplest non-Iowan layman explanation for how the Iowa caucuses work, as opposed to how most of the rest of us view primary polls? Yes. So you don't vote. You don't vote my mail. You don't pull a lever, as my grandmother would say when she would talk about exercising her franchise. At the Iowa caucuses, it's an event. So at 730 Central Time, 1600 basements and churches and schools will host a caucus. And the caucuses, all the different people who are excited for their particular candidates come together And they walk in, and that's when it gets complicated. So it can take a couple of hours, and that's one of the reasons that there's complaints about Iowa as the original place. Because as uh, Claire McCaskill, the former senator, was pointing out this morning, if you work a night shift, if you're somebody who is not a student and not a retiree, a couple of hours on a Monday night can be tough. So you show up. And you break into clumps as if you're a junior high dance with boys and girls. You uh, break into clumps for your candidate. And any candidate who doesn't get at least 15% of people who are in the caucus, stay with me. Anybody who doesn't get at least 15% eliminated. And then round two, the survivors, the people who have not been voted off the caucus island, can get together and... That's the second result. That's the final result. That's the tally that goes into a delegate count uh, for the group. And the twist in there, the strategy, the intrigue, as Axios would say, is that in that break, when you break into your original groups for every candidate, 
And when you break into your groups for the surviving candidates, the campaigns can campaign. There's furious lobbying. Everybody from the Buttigieg campaign goes up to people from a losing campaign and convinces them to join their team. And that's why it's a couple hours. Can I ask on the mathematics side, which is Bernie Sanders, and, and you wrote this morning, he's kind of uh, the, the conventional wisdom front runner right now. It's kind of his to lose. It's interesting, though. If he gets even kind of the top of what some of the polls are suggesting right now he could get, that's still obviously well below what he got when he lost in Iowa four years ago. Admittedly, two-person field compared to this massive field. It would be a big win for him. But are there concerns that his kind of fervent support has seemed to drop? He's winning in the ways that count. And that observation came from Axios reporters in Iowa, Margaret of our White House and politics editor, Alexi McCammond, a politics uh, reporter, attending these events, talking to voters, talking to operatives. And that's where they came to the conclusion that this is Bernie's to lose. And I can tell you from my conversations and my reporting, they won't say this publicly, of course, but the other campaigns think Bernie's going to win. Now, they could be well be wrong. And we always do disclaimers ever since 2016, right? And so uh, we pointed out in our piece this morning that in this uh, volatile, disruptive, fragmented age, nobody can be sure. But that's what it's looking like to the people who are there. Obviously, whoever wins is, is going to be the headline on top of Axios and everywhere else. But from your perspective, is this really one race or is this really two? In other words, the winner of the progressive side of the Democratic Party and the more moderate side of the Democratic Party. You're leading the witness there. But uh, I agree with you that we'll see the different strands of the party. The other thing to look at, people talk about two tickets, three tickets out of Iowa. People are going to be looking very hard at the strength or weakness of Joe Biden. And we had some great reporting from Margaret Talib this morning, like the sort of fingertip feel reporting that you can only get from being there. And she points out that Biden looked tired at his closing rallies, older crowds. And there's a sense from people who know Biden that the impeachment focus on Hunter has taken a toll. So if he's able to surmount all that, that will be quite an accomplishment if he's looking weak when he's one of the best known, right, Democrats in America, that would really worry people who don't want the party to go the Sanders-Warren way. When should we kind of flip on our TVs or, or open up Axios online to get a sense of who's winning? Open up Axios online right now. Don't wait. All day. Fair enough. Around when should we know tonight? And from your perspective, you also made a note in your AM this morning that there are some rival campaigns that are concerned that Bernie will declare victory before all the caucuses are really finished. Finished, thus kind of uh, juicing the numbers. Yeah, because people can leave like there's not uh, marshals at the door after they do their first group, either if they felt like they've said their piece or if they're really annoyed that their person was eliminated, they can leave. And there's TVs on in these places. These are not uh, locked boxes. So what? that's why there's concern about how a very strong Bernie might play his hand. But we're going to start to hear a lot Quickly, So 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 real time, Heartland time, Iowa time is when they go in and there'll be a lot of interviews with people on the way in and Axios will be using Associated Press data, which comes quite quickly. And so it'll be fun to follow how it unspools. On election nights, I like to tell people, it's like, you don't turn on the Super Bowl just to get the score. You want to watch it unfold. And so we're going to have one of the fascinating Rituals of American Life 
period, not just politics, that's unfolding here, something that would not happen, could not happen anywhere else. And it'll, we should soak it in and enjoy it and recognize it for what it is, that it's a very unrepresentative state with a very outsized voice. But the bottom line, as we say on Axios, these are the first votes of 2020 that will really count. I think there may be some mail-in some places, but this is the first time in 2020, we've been talking about it for four years now, that we will have an actual result and can say this is what's going to happen next. Mike Allen, co-founder of Axios, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your coverage, Dan. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is news that the Federal Trade Commission will sue to stop the maker of Schick's razors from buying upstart shaving company Harry's, a deal first announced last year with a $1.3 billion price tag. I'll dig more into the decision tomorrow in the Pro Rata newsletter, but for now, it's worth just highlighting how this is part of increased regulatory pressure on all sorts of mergers in a variety of different countries. It's something that goes far beyond Trump and big tech and is one of the reasons that global mergers hit a seven-year low in January. And finally, today there will be lots of analysis about which Super Bowl advertisers score touchdowns and which ones fumbled. But within that, Axios' Ina Freed writes about how telecom giants Verizon and T-Mobile used the game as an opportunity to trade shots over each other's 5G networks, which only kind of sort of exists so far. So first, Verizon had a pre-kickoff ad touting its 5G services, which was responded to by outgoing T-Mobile CEO John Legere via a tweet with video of a T-Mobile phone getting consistent 5G service within Miami's Hard Rock Stadium, whereas a Verizon device only got it intermittently. Then Verizon aired a second ad praising first responders, which is a case of right message, wrong messenger, given that Verizon had been heavily criticized for throttling the speeds of first responders battling California wildfires in 2018. The bottom line, Ina writes, is that the marketing continues to get ahead of the tech as few 5G offerings are compelling right now. What's really needed, she writes, is a network that gives consumers enough places where they can use 5G connections and then secondarily works with the device they want to use, or at least with the one they want to buy. All of that should start becoming more of reality later this year. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Carrot Cake Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.